welcome to Poverty Unpacked, the podcast series in which we discuss the hidden sides of poverty. In conversation with others, we explore how poverty affects the mind, relationships, emotions and society as a whole, and what can be done to change it. In this episode, we are joined by Saumya Roy. Saumya is a writer, journalist and social entrepreneur based in Mumbai in India. She has written for many national and international newspapers and opinion sites. And in 2010, she set up her own microfinance organization to help people in poverty set up their own businesses. Samia recently published her first book, Castaway Mountain. It's a non-fiction book based on her long engagement with the waste picker community in and around the DNR garbage mountains on the outskirts of Mumbai. And it's a gripping tale of living life in the margins of society, shedding light on the everyday struggles and joys of those who are invisible to most. Samia, thank you very much for joining the podcast today. It's a real delight to have you on. Your book, Castaway Mountain, was published earlier this month, and I really enjoyed reading it. A gripping and I felt also emotive narrative about a community living on DNR mountains outside of Mumbai but also very well researched about what life on these garbage mountains looks like and how things have changed over time. So maybe to start off our conversation, could you tell the listeners a little bit more about the book, what it was about? Sure. First of all, thank you very much for having me on your show and for your very um, sort of sensitive and thoughtful reading of my book. Um, It's a pleasure to be on your show and to be having this conversation. So I uh, have this book is uh, Castaway Mountain and in the UK it's to be it is called Mountain Tales is about the garbage uh, mountains of Mumbai, the dumping garbage dumping grounds of Mumbai. Um, But over a period of time, as you know, Mumbai is one of the most densely populated cities in the world and garbage has just accumulated there for 122 years. Nothing has been processed. It's just been accumulating and has made mountains of trash, uh, which go up to 18 stories high. It's about 300 acres in size, edged by the sea on the outside. As you know, Mumbai is an island city. So this forms the edge of Mumbai city. The sea is on one side. And uh, as garbage accumulated, the only people who took anything away were waste pickers. So there is a community of waste pickers that lives just by the edge of the mountain, their homes almost digging into these garbage mountains. They make their life by walking up these garbage mountains every day, filling bags full of garbage, perching them atop their heads, bringing them down and, you know, sorting and reselling to traders, plastic for plastic, you know, plastic, glass, cloth scraps, metal. And so the only thing that ever leaves these garbage mountains is taken away by their waste pickers. And at the same time, it's a very precarious life their hands, their feet getting cut by the garbage, you know, the breathlessness from the fires that rage on the garbage mountains. It's a very tenuous, precarious life that I followed for about eight years and then wrote this book about it. These are lives made by our trash. This is a world made by our trash. And so it became a mirror of our modern society in some ways. And very gripping how you talk about this in the book, how what people in the rest of the city discard becomes uh, the livelihood of people in this township. Now, you just mentioned that you followed the lives of the waste pickers over a period of eight years. 
you've also written many other stories. And I, I was wondering what drew you to this story and what compelled you to follow the lives of these people over such a long period of time? So I was a journalist for many years. Then I ran a, a left in 2010 and started a microfinance nonprofit. And in 2013, the waste pickers approached us. They came, began coming to our office asking for microloans. And I was immediately curious. Just from the sight of them, they looked different. They had cuts, they had bruises. Their legs were bored from walking down the slopes with all that trash on their heads, I thought. And so I said, well, what kind of business is this? And I began following them back to see their homes. The homes were made of trash, plastic sheets or cloth or whatever they could find. Many of them were had these uh, you know, illnesses from working on these garbage mountains. And I became very fascinated with their lives. And also I felt that um, this was a mirror to our life. See, I felt that these mountains were growing because of, of invisibility, right? We were sending things to be forgotten there. So this place was a mirror to our society, our world. And that is what made it important for me to write about it, I thought. Um, you know, in 2016, there were fires on the garbage mountains and waste pickers were getting detained and arrested for lighting these fires. And they may or may not have lit the fires. But I did think that we, we in the city who were sending our trash had also uh, a connection with this place for having made it, for having lengthened it, for having made it as toxic as it was, combustible, I should say, as it was. And so I, I thought I would write a magazine piece to show our connection with this place and these lives. But the research just grew and grew and grew and became a book. Yes, and a very rich book that is with lots of different characters and lots of different stories about people's lives on the mountains and around the mountains. And so I just asked you what drew you to the story. But let me also ask you what drew these people to the trash mountains? You just explained what a tough life it is, the toxic fumes, trash to walk around in all day. Were these people from inside of Mumbai who moved out to make a living? Were they people from outside? Was it a mix? And why did they choose to come and live in this township and do this work? Yeah, so the older inhabitants have been of this township. Like I've spoken about Vita Vaikambia, who is one of the oldest inhabitants of this township. And so people like her who came very early on were pavement dwellers. They, you know, they had set up their homes on pavements and roads and uh, train tracks in the city but you know Mumbai was was pretty early on seen as India's commercial capital a global city it had ambitions of being a global city these pavement dwellers did not fit in with that image of the city and so obviously they were seen as some kind of an inconvenience and eyesore and along with the city's trash they too were sent to live there sent to live so far away from the city they had no means to you know, make a livelihood other than to walk through these at what was then a trash-filled swamp, essentially. So that is how the first set of people came there and, you know, the early set of people came there. But later, as it became a township in itself, you know, the people who were living there, uh, and it, it's now a largely Muslim-dominated community with some Hindus also living there, their relatives came. So there's a lot of North Indian Muslims living there and their relatives, their family, people who knew that if you couldn't get a job anywhere, you would get a job here. You would find work walking the waste mountains. They came to live here. And the storyline develops against the backdrop of efforts to also move or end the buildup of trash on these mountains. So at first, 
they grew because the city needed to dispose of all its waste, but then they grew so big and there were so many fires. And I, I imagine because the toxic fumes were reaching the main city, then there was a push to end the buildup of, of garbage. And you describe the, the many efforts to try and do this, to build a plant to get garbage to be accumulated elsewhere. And when reading this, at first instance, I thought, well, this seems like the right thing to do for the city, but maybe also for the people living there so they can find other ways of earning a living and they no longer have to walk these trash mountains and do the work that they do. But the way in which you also describe how people have built their lives on and around these mountains, how it is their livelihoods, and in some cases they really feel attached to this livelihood as well, gives a different perspective. And, and so it makes me think, where do you stand on the future of these trash mountains? Is it ultimately the only way forward to, to build a plant, to find different lives for people who work on them? Or do you think that's short-sighted because people do have livelihoods there and it's just not that easy to, for them to find a different way of, of earning a living? That's a great question. You know, in writing this, I didn't want to romanticize the life of the waste because to the extent that I feel that this dark life, um, you know, this garbage mountain should continue so that their professions continue and they can continue to live this kind of a life. Surely, I mean, this is not a life that, that I want to say is a great life and should be perpetuated. Having said that, I think that whatever happens, so something I think does need to be done with those garbage mountains. But I don't think that, that only a technocratic solution or a technological solution is, this, is not the only solution for it. I think whatever solution is found, whether it's a waste to energy plant, a waste to compost plant, or just you know that zero waste, I think that is something that for experts to uh, arrive at the right plan. But I would say that whatever solution they come up for this place, it must include something for those people whose lives are intertwined with this place, which is the waste pickers. Whether it is jobs at the plant, whether it is working at wherever they move, but, but there cannot be a future of this place without the future of those who live off of it and who are the only ones who have taken anything away from it for, to be recycled, to be treated, to be resold. So that is my only kind of view on this. Absolutely. And in this history of everything that's happened around contracting companies to build the plants, regulations around the mountains, have people living there ever been asked by anybody what they would prefer to happen to the mountains themselves, but also for their lives? Would they prefer steady jobs in the township, jobs elsewhere in the city? So when thinking indeed about the future, has there been any form of consultation or have you gotten any insight from your discussions with people about what they would like as an alternative? Yeah, no, this is an interesting issue because until 2016, they were officially even seen as encroachers, that this was a government, you know, a municipal land property, um, you know, <laughs> waste was, city waste was accumulating and these people were seen as encroachers. So I have a feeling uh, that even today it is seen as a prohibited space. So the attempt of the municipality on the one side is, you know, to install boundary walls, to install cameras, to install lights in order to keep the waste pickers away. 
many many a time they might be you know beaten up for crouching on government land so it's that relationship of a little bit of mutual mistrust that certainly doesn't exist where west speakers believe that they are they have, they're fearful right of being somewhere treated as encroachers or something having said that in 2016 the, there were new waste rules were passed waste pickers were supposed to be included in the waste management systems of the city so on paper things should really change i hear that things are going to change but the municipality is shall i say uh, trying to balance between the competing goals of quelling fires they do believe not maybe incorrectly that somewhere with all the waste pickers walking on the mountains just even a small uh, cigarette thrown away could light a fire on the mountains and so uh, certainly there were garbage traders who indulged in bringing illegal waste and you know there police cases going on around that so on the one side they need to secure these garbage mountains make sure there are no fires public health issues crime etc and on the other hand on paper they are being told that waste pickers need to be included in any uh, you know in, in the waste management systems of the city so i my feeling is that they struggle to manage these two competing goals and from the waste pickers perspective they 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 are fearful that and that sense of fear is increasing as the need for security is increasing as the fires increase in fact it is a way of, increased for a while it was in fact the waste because who bore the brunt of the increased security because it just resulted in a loss of livelihood for them it made their lives much more precarious so even today some of the characters in my book are working on the garbage mountains they wake up before dawn they walk on these garbage mountains in the dark so that guards don't see them they try to pick up as much as they can with their bare hands in the dark so that and and in that process often get cut get bruised but they work in this increasingly tenuous way because there is nothing else that they can really you know at this point do so it sounds like there also really needs to be effort to try and find alternative livelihoods for these people so there is a viable way for them to to move off these mountains and in relation to that i i wanted to ask you also about the foundation that you set up banana foundation a microcredit foundation at various points in the book you talk about how some of the people living in this township took out loans or took out microcredit to build up different ways of earning an income through embroidery work for example or small trades in the majority of the examples that you mention we also learn that very often it doesn't work out they default on their payments they might take out another loan uh, maybe not from a reputable foundation but from loan sharks and they enter a cycle of debt so i wanted to ask you about your your view on the positive force or whether it's a positive force of micro loans they can offer opportunities but they can also push people into this uh, cycle of indebtedness and your experience of that both with the waste pickers that are in your book but as well as uh, with other people that you've worked with through the foundation yeah no thank you for that question so i also was one of the most enriching experiences of my life to be giving micro loans with respect to what we saw with these waste pickers and other borrowers i think one of my great learnings was the fragility of the lives of the poor many times they do succeed in their businesses they do have that sort of temporary success but then there could be a health um emergency there could be a wedding there could be some education related expenses some kind of an accident and they that for which they need to use up their savings and that little cushion that they've built is gone in no time i saw this with waste pickers and i saw this with other um, kind of borrowers that we had across the city 
you know, one example I often gave is of this woman who was a banana seller and she had, you know, she seemed to be doing very well. She had taken several loans from us. And once when I went to meet her, she had this empty hand cart and I said, hey, what happened? And she said her father had died and she wanted to, you know, attend the last rites. And so she had used all her savings to buy a plane ticket to go for the funeral, attend the funeral. One of the learnings that I had was certainly that the lives of the poor are very fragile. Any health setbacks or, you know, some such emergencies can certainly wipe out those savings. And there are some microfinance studies that I later found that do also say, find this in Hyderabad and elsewhere, which I've quoted in the book. So do I feel microloans help? Yes, certainly they do help. But I don't think that they can just by themselves always become something that turn a person's life. Many factors sometimes to come together to create lasting prosperity and wealth, you know, and to kind of lift them into the middle class or, you know, that kind of social mobility. That's very clear. And of course, makes a lot of sense, again, especially learning about the many different factors that make people's lives so fragile, as you say, especially those of waste pickers around these trash mountains. So one of the ways in which you framed this book was that by going into depth and describing the lives of people on these trash mountains, making a life of discarded items of waste of people in, in Mumbai city, you want to provide a mirror. And I'm wondering in your years of telling these stories, uh, which I imagine started before publishing this book, what has been the response of people living inside the city or maybe people high up in Mumbai city about the stories that you tell and about people living in this township? While I was writing the book, I was not really publishing stories related to my findings. But since the book has come out, there have been some very interesting reactions. People have liked the book, but it's been like a lot of people have said, like, you know, writers, journalists, or, you know, people who speak to me, or sometimes they say, oh, we didn't know. One, that there is this whole world there that, that they discovered through this book, which is always uh, a writer's aim to recreate a world. Like I've not made it, it's not fiction, it's nonfiction, but it is certainly a, a fully formed world that people even in Bombay City or Mumbai did not um, really completely know of. And there are also some people who say they didn't have any idea of the scale of this place. Uh, although they live in Mumbai, their own trash is there. But many people who say that they didn't know the scale of this place, how big it is, how huge it is, how intractable it is. You know. So it's been a discovery, I would say, even for people in the city. And that's always nice for a writer to know. And a revelation, I would say. I would say that has been the big revelation for me. I can imagine that. And I imagine it must be quite encouraging to hear these responses about how you've opened people's eyes to a world that exists so close to them and they weren't aware of. I also wanted to ask you about what you, without, of course, giving away too much about the book itself and the stories mm -hmm. that are in it, but over those years and also still following up on people's lives, what is maybe the most striking story that stood with you throughout that time? There were so many stories that I even felt that, you know, some at points I felt, why is the story here? As you know, there's a whole cast of characters. At many points, I felt that some of these characters were just too many and I needed to, you know, just cut them out. But they were there because they were bringing out the fragility of this place. One of which is, you know, about the eight and 12 year old children, Ashra and Mehroon, two sisters who live just by the garbage dump. And their father has, is going through difficult times and is kind of in and out of the house. And at one point during the throes of this whole 
crisis with their father, I noticed that the eight-year-old child was stammering. And I, I wondered uh, why was she stammering and, you know, not really going to school. And I, I began attending school with her. I began, you know, checking how much is she going there? How much is she not going there? And then I thought, but I'm writing about the Kavish Mountains and why is this child not going out of my story? And, you know, her father had been one of the luckiest waste pickers was, or was said to be one of the luckiest waste pickers. So at one point he had found a gold chain. Uh, he had uh, started, used it to, to make a house in his village. He had used it to start different businesses, like letting out rooms in their lanes. He had tried to become a trader. And then the indebtedness became too much and he got tangled in a debt trap. So at one point, this child had gone to a in private English school and the impact of, of his fortunes dwindling was completely felt on this child who had to be taken out of the English school, had to be put into a Urdu medium municipal school, and uh, she was not able to follow what was going on suddenly from English to Urdu. And every time I saw her, she was just stuttering and stammering. And I felt the fortunes of the mountains of her father's dwindling fortunes were felt on the eight-year-old child. And so I decided that, you know, she just had to be there in the story because sometimes it is through children that the most, the tenderest ways of telling the most difficult stories come through. Absolutely. Yes. And I can tell the listeners that these stories come through really powerfully in your book. To end our conversation, are there any takeaway messages that you would like the listeners to know about from what you've learned in the eight years researching this book? You spoke about some of the response that you've had from within Mumbai, but obviously your book has been published in the US and, and the UK with a global readership. What would you like the global readership to get out of your book? Sure. I mean, I would want them, like with any good book, to feel moved. You know, many times when we read books, they are about distant worlds. And yet, while we read them, we feel that we are immersed in that world. And so I would certainly want readers to feel immersed, to feel moved. And I think that by staying immersed in this world, somewhere it makes you think about your own life. Like while you may be far away from Devnar, you are also, um, you know, there is trash being produced in countries everywhere. <laughs> everywhere that is living, everywhere that is breathing is, is producing trash. It may not be going to waste pickers, but it's certainly going to waste uh, to landfills and that those landfills are probably exporting it to some country. So, you know, to become aware, to see the trail that our life is lead leaving. Personally, I think you do that very well. And I would like to end on saying the things that I've learned from this book is on the one hand, indeed, about the ecology, the system around waste, um, of course, looks different in the UK where I am to, to Mumbai, where this is set. But it does make you think about where it all goes and how it's handled. We don't really think about it. We throw stuff away. It gets collected, at least where I am. And then we no longer think about it. But in many places, it becomes people's livelihoods or it has very negative effects, of course, as well on their livelihoods and the environment. And the other thing that I found really striking is, as you've said a few times, the very vulnerable lives that people lead and how so many different things can happen to throw people off. As you said in the beginning, you don't want to romanticize life on the trash mountains at the same time, also indicate that in a way it is also a dignified life for people. To me, that comes out really strongly. It's really, really tough, but it's, it's also a life with people managing 
their families, their expectations, their aspirations. And I found that really, really rewarding in reading your book. Yeah, thank you. I really agree with you, if I may just take a minute. I did realize that dignity does not come just from wealth. That dignity comes from just very deep within their characters to really keep dignity is, for example, to just keep trying every day, to keep making an effort for, to maintain the bonds of love and family with you in the face of every difficulty. So I certainly did feel that strong sense of dignity that they maintained in their life in spite of that crushing poverty they experienced. I think that's a very good note to end on. Somya, thank you very much again for joining us. It's been really interesting. And I hope many of our listeners will go out and read your book. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please follow us on Instagram and Twitter or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, leave us a review and let us know what you think. We hope you'll join us again next time.